You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm excited today to take you through the process that we use in my agency to scale. Uh, now we have six Shark Tank clients and uh, we're getting great results with them. And uh, the way that we are doing it um, is, is, is not what you might think. Um, it's, it's all Facebook ads, of course, but it's not just Facebook ads. It's that mix of offer, creative, and then of course, the tactical side of Facebook ads. And I think a lot of people don't even understand what to focus on and they don't know who to hire because they feel like Facebook ads are just, uh, just a skill that you can learn and that's all there is to it when there, and there isn't any creativity involved. Um, and, and, and a lot of people just don't even know where to start. So uh, here with you, uh, to, here with me today is Sayla Shepard. So she's here as well. And Sayla does a lot of the media buying in our company. So she is an absolute Facebook ads expert. Um, and she heads up all media buying um, at the company. Um, and uh, certainly none of the success we've had with our clients would have been able to happen without Sela. And so um, what we're going to talk about today is how you launch a campaign from scratch. Well, how we launch a campaign from scratch. There's now, I mean, I don't know where that skin a cat phrase came from. There's not one way to skin a cat. It seems kind of grotesque to me, but uh, it is a phrase <laughs> and uh, th there isn't just one way to do it. So we're going to tell you how we do it and um, take you inside the different processes. And uh, hopefully you'll learn something by getting that perspective of the way we do it. Maybe you can start plugging it in to your own business as well. Sayla, what's happening? Sayla, it's Sayla's hey. birthday. Yeah, it's my birthday and I get to be on your podcast. Best birthday present. <laughs> oh, so sweet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Sayla is, Sayla is awesome. She lives out in Oregon and, uh, we, we went through some similar, uh, we're, we're in some similar online communities and we sort of hooked up and now we, uh, now we work together, um, deeply on all of these accounts and, and, and we're sort of proud to have developed like a pretty repeatable, nice strategy. And we've really, like, we have quite literally made millions of dollars for clients using it. So we're excited to plug you into it. Um, so what I call the creative side of this strategy is the three PP methodology. And what that stands for is third party play. This is the thing that a lot of folks don't understand. And I know Sayla will agree with me here that they don't understand how important the creative is. And even and Sela, you know, who uh, knows everything in and out about the tactical side of Facebook ads, knows that at the end of the day, you could do whatever magic wand tricks you want to do. But if the offer and the creative are not there, it won't work, right? You'd agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Creative is everything. The offer is everything. Like there's only so much you can do within Facebook ads to make your campaign successful. And those components are pretty much out of your control if you're a normal ad buyer and don't have access to creating the right creative and making the landing page better. Right. That's sort of the problem. I mean, I feel like maybe we're at the precipice of the end of the ad buyer, you know, or an ad buyer needs to not be a standalone, right? Like it needs to be part of like a larger operation. 
Um, yeah, I agree with yeah. you. I mean, I think there was definitely a birth of lots of ad buyers and they didn't really understand marketing from a holistic approach. Like they didn't understand the other components that go into it. And that's a problem as Facebook ads get more and more competitive. Right, right, right. And you know, this is not to say necessarily that if you've got your creative and offer lockdown, if you don't know how to run and buy media on Facebook, that it'll work. Because certainly that's not the case. I mean, there's a lot of basic mistakes that get made along the way, even if you do have great creative see it all the time. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're not reinventing the wheel. Like it's not some magic act. The most difficult thing, the most difficult decisions you're going to make are going to be the strategic decisions. You know, what is the offer? How does that business model work? And how are we going to tell that story? What's the messaging there? Um, and uh, so, so we're going to walk you through how we do it. Um, so I just want to first walk you briefly through uh, what this uh, 3PP content strategy is. And you can, see, you can see examples of this more in depth on our site, guidesocialglobal.com. But um, basically, we have a text on screen storytelling type video. It stands for third party play because the, the videos feel very third party. I mean, it's not me telling you how great I am. It's not even the customer necessarily. It's like this objective neutral-ish third party. And even though it's not actually a neutral and objective third party, it feels that way. Um, I think that the real trick here is creating content that feels organic in the feed. And I developed this creative approach because quite simply, I used to run big video programs in news media. And so I developed this type of video when I was there. And it did very well. I wrote a whole book on how to create this content. Um, when I wrote the book, I hadn't done it much plugging it into <laughs> actual, actual selling of products. Uh, but when I did, it started really working. So, so basically, these are text on screen storytelling type videos. They're about a minute long and they feel very organic to the feed, right? These are not videos that take $30,000 to produce. They're videos that are, they, they don't take much to produce at all, except for a brain. It's all about the script. It's all about the way that it's written and understanding how people are going to consume that content. Um, so that's what we have at the top. It, it feels very much like news. It's a video that feels very much like news. Um, and so people see that in their feed. We actually tend to see a ton of purchases coming right directly from that top of funnel. Now this is mostly, uh, you can utilize this for any type of business. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is mostly for direct product sales. Um, because obviously, depending on how expensive the offer is or what the offer is, you're going to have to extend your funnel out. Um, not to get too in-depth, but you know, if, if you're selling something that's $1,000, it's going to take more warming up than something that's going to cost $50. So you have to create different funnels. But uh, we have used this funnel to sell products everywhere from $30 to $300 in the e-commerce space. Um, and so that is what our cold audience gets. Now in the retargeting phase, meaning after people have engaged with us, they've gone to our website, they've watched the video, whatever it may be, they see uh, very specific testimonial type storytelling videos uh, that are empathy driven. They have human storytelling in them and they really tell the story of the problem solution. It's not just a sound bite that's like, hey, I love this stuff. It's, uh, it's a little deeper than that. And they do not need to be 60 seconds. They can be longer. It's all about the story that they tell. And what we've seen is very important. Um, this is something we've worked into it recently is when there is a demo element. 
Um, if you're able to mix the testimonial and the demo together so that your people are actually seeing it in use by the person who loves it and is talking about why they love it, it can be very powerful. The other piece of it is we own a media brand called Vesta Media, which, um, which is uh, it's a brand for innovative products and services. And we write an article, a blog article, and that article also we use in retargeting. So this is an authority article. Um, it's sponsored content, basically, which every news media does. Um, and we run that in the funnel so that we can, uh, it again provides that third party authority. So that's what we use in all of the retargeting. So that's the creative that we use. It's all about, it's all about when someone sees this in their feed, it takes them a little bit to figure out that it's an ad. They don't know that it's an ad at first. Um, and uh, I think that's really where the magic is in it because all of marketing is psychology. Uh, so that's where, that's where that is. So how do we set this up from the beginning? So the first thing that we do is we go ahead and we make all this, this video content. Um, we usually start getting up some campaigns. So Sayla, when you and I have worked, I don't think that there is, I'm trying to think, Mm, most clients have tr attempt that, that, that we have worked with have attempted to use Facebook ads before. What's the first thing that you yeah. do when you get into account? What do you look for? Well, the first thing that I look for when I'm auditing an account is what type of audiences they've used that have worked really well. I mean, clearly we already have an idea of the creative we're going to use. Um, so I, I do look at the text um, and get uh, an idea of what type of text works best, but really I'm looking at the audiences. Which audiences have they forgotten to use? A lot of times it's actually like warm audiences like um, Facebook and Instagram engagers or um, website visitors. Like usually it's the warm audiences that people just haven't used before in the funnel. So I'm looking for what type of audiences have they used in the past? I'm also looking at and making sure that their pixel is set up correctly. Um, and it has enough events to fire for the different conversion events that we're going to be using in the campaigns. Um, those are the two main things I look for. And then from there, I'm just starting to create the audiences that I know I'm gonna use, use in the campaigns, which are usually the same on each account. It does kind of depend on the level of, the amount of spend we have and the, what, has, what they've used in the past. Um, but usually I just go in and I start creating all my lookalikes that I like to use and um, I use the customer lists that were given from the clients and I also use the pixel traffic if they have enough to create those audiences. All right. So the first thing is taking a look at, uh, what's been done before and, uh, what kind of data there is. So, um, depending on who's listening to this, if you don't have a Facebook pixel on your site now, you need to make sure that you have a Facebook pixel on your site. So that whenever you do start working with an expert, there's a lot of data to leverage. Because the worst case scenario can, would, would be that you start using, uh, you start wanting to run Facebook ads, you start using Facebook ads, and then, uh, and then you run into a situation where there's no data to leverage. And data is power when it comes to Facebook. The more data Facebook has, the more that it can optimize what it actually does. And if they don't have any data, there's not much that you can do, but you can start gathering that data well before you start actually spending money on advertising. So uh, we look at that first and a lot of, and some clients, we have a few clients now that, that don't have any of that data. And so, and so we do have to start from scratch in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the things though, you're right, we can do is upload those customer lists. And uh, so that, 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 that allows us to tell Facebook the types of people to go after. 
Um, so how do you, so what, give, give me your like breakdown on how, on the first initial campaign structure that you'll use. Like a lot of people don't know how many campaigns to start, what campaigns to start, where to target, like take us through like the beginning stages here. How do you start? Yeah. So if I am setting up a newer account, um, usually I always optimize for purchase. A lot of ad buyers disagree with this and think that you should optimize for something lower in the funnel, like, or higher in the funnel, funnel, like add to cart or initiate checkout. But I just go ahead and start optimizing for purchase because that's the event that we want people to take. Um, so, um, optimizing for purchase is the most important thing. Usually always with my top of funnel campaigns, I start with a 1% purchase lookalike campaign. So a lookalike audience that I've created that has already probably been building for a little bit in the account before I actually launch the campaign. Um, and that's usually where I start. Um, and then if I, if I don't see purchases within the first three to five days, then I usually switch it to a 3% lookalike of purchasers because lately we've been finding that those have been performing better than the one percent um but usually I, I like to start with a one percent because it is the truest closest thing that you're going to get to your purchasers do so you never start with interest targeting because i'm sure that's how most people start i don't start with interest targeting i actually have ran almost millions of dollars in facebook ads and interest targeting does not work as well as lookalike audiences um, you can layer interests into your lookalikes to get a little closer to your target audience. Um, but I usually don't start with that. Usually that's something I do a little bit further down the line um, because I really just want Facebook's algorithm to do its job and go find people who are similar to people who have purchased from me in the past. Okay, great. Makes sense. Uh, uh, okay. So, uh, and, and you can leverage these lookalike audiences right from the beginning, unless you literally don't have a business. Uh, because typically, if you've sold anything, you have some sort of data. This, this is one reason that you'd wanna have a, a pixel on your site so that you can gather this data. But even if you haven't, theoretically, you've been gathering this customer data um, and you can, and, and basically just so everyone knows to do these lookalike audiences, you, uh, you would, for example, download a customer list, which has email addresses on it, upload that as what Facebook calls a custom audience. And, uh, you would create, you would click to the right there and create a lookalike audience. And so it goes on percentages, 1%, 2 2%, 3%, 4%, 1% is the closest uh, it's the smallest audience and the closest to those people that Facebook can find and 10% uh, being the furthest away. So um, theoretically, yeah, the 1% purchase audience should be the best purchase audience if Facebook is doing its job. And I think, uh, you know, those of us who have been running Facebook ads for a long time know that uh, they're better than they used to be. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're certainly a lot better than they used to be. Um, and Sayla, even you're saying you don't even use you don't even use interests. I mean, we will test them eventually, um, especially as you scale and just see how things work um, to find new audiences. Uh, but it makes sense. Lookalike audiences also always um, uh, are constantly evolving and adapting. So theoretically, they shouldn't just run out. Um, but I think what what is it? Two point one million in that in that one percent audience. So it'll continue to be a different two point one million people, or the, or it'll be a, sort of like a treadmill of people coming through. Yeah, especially if you use the pixel 
if that's your list that you grow your lookalike from as opposed to just a customer list like the pixel data is just always learning what's pe what people are buying so that's why it's really important again to have your pixel installed so you can start gathering that data right yeah definitely get that installed um okay so uh so you so you so you've got so this is your cold audience campaign right and so you so you would just recommend starting you you start this campaign and just one audience, a 1% purchase lookalike audience, right? That's it. Yep. That's, that's, that's where you get started, especially, you know, as your budget is on the lower end when you're first getting started, that's where you're going to find the most amount of people for your cold audience. So a lot of people uh, are going to ask this question. So let's answer it. You answer it. How much money do you, whoa, how much money do you need to spend? To, to see results? Great question. I mean, ideally how Facebook works is you need 50 conversions in a week to get out of the learning phase. Um, so ideally you're gonna wanna get your 50 conversions in that out of that first week because that's when Facebook will start optimizing better and you'll just, your results will be better. Your cost per acquisition will go down, et cetera. So, um, However, when you're first starting out, you usually don't know what your CPA is going to be. Say it's $10. You don't know that you need to get, spend $10 and get 50 of those um, in the first week. And that's what your budget should be. Um, so since you usually don't know that, you kind of have to estimate, you know, like you'd like to see a $25 per conversion. And then you need to see that 50 times in the first week. So 25 times 50, and that's your budget. Um, that being said, you can do a lot with a smaller budget. Um, not, I won't, like Q4 is going to be expensive. But if you're saying, I don't think that I'm going to have that much money out of the gate, then start with what you can start with. You know, a 60 to $100 a day budget, we've seen, you can still get pretty good results out of that. Just know that you might not get out of the learning phase with that. All right. So let's explain this learning phase though for people. So, okay. uh, so, so, uh, so the basic idea is that Facebook's newsfeed runs on an algorithm and, uh, and ads run through an auction platform um, that works with the algorithm. So basically the basic idea is, and uh, I don't know if you mentioned this, but you definitely wanna be running a conversion campaign. Don't, right? don't waste your time with any other, the, the first thing you do when you go to create campaign is Facebook's gonna ask you, what do you wanna achieve? And if you want to make money, you're going to have to choose conversions. Um, and so you, you have to make sure that you have that pixel data up there. Now, that's not necessarily true all the way through Facebook ads, but cold audience, you're starting things out in your campaign. You want to use a conversion-based audience. It's going to ask you, what do you want? And you're going to say purchases. And so you go for purchases. If you have something like uh, Shopify, which at least 60% of the e-commerce world has, maybe more, that's gonna be really taken care of for you in a lot of ways, uh, as, far as, as far as having all of the pixels set up. If you have something like WordPress, you wanna make sure to talk to your developer or do some intense Googling. Um, okay, so uh, basically, Facebook is saying, basically, every time that you push the green button on a campaign, right, it says, okay, you've given me $30 and you've told me to get purchases. So I am going to try to use, and I always say this in my classes that I teach, um, that 
I think I saw a stat somewhere that 50% of all artificial intelligence experts in the world work at Facebook and Google. Uh, and because that's what they do, they build these algorithms. So um, when you push that publish button, it starts learning who's gonna buy your product. Um, and that takes time because the more data you can get in, the better. So obviously it exits the learning phase, the more money you spend because it's just going to simply work. Now, of course, uh, if you don't get purchases during that time, it's not gonna work quite as well. Uh, but the more money you spend, the faster you can see results, faster you can lose money too, right? So um, you just have to take a measured approach. But that's basically what it means by learning. Facebook will immediately try to learn how to spend your budget in the wisest way to achieve the objective you, have, you had told it to, uh, to achieve. So it's trying to learn you. Uh, okay, so we've, got, so we've got all of that set up. We know our audience. It's super easy, actually. Like, there's all these, like, audience targeting hacks and everything out there. And people are like, who are you targeting? Who are you targeting? And it's just like, it's always lookalikes <laughs> very often. It's like, that's not the problem. Targeting's not the problem. Um, and Facebook will tend to find the best people. Um, let's dig in a little bit more into um, this... Uh, this audience level of everything because I think a lot of people still think that you need to hack everything around to make it work. Like for example, uh, make it show on Facebook and not Instagram. Make sure that you don't put it on desktop and only put it on mobile. Turn off like all this other stuff. Um, how do you deal with all of that? What's your thought process there? Because that's sort of the old school way of doing it, right? It was more like you have to tell more uh, you have to give Facebook more information about how to act optimally. How do you deal with this? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, first of all, Facebook has the most powerful algorithm in the world. It knows every single thing about every single person, and you need to let it do its job. Like, it knows what it's doing. And if you get in there and you start messing with it every day and you start changing lots of things and all of that, then your results are going to suffer. And you know, this isn't like ad buying with Google or something like that, where you can go in and make changes every single day. This is an algorithm that is constantly learning. It's learning your behaviors of what you're doing in the ad account. And it's also learning what the consumers and the people on the platform are doing. Um, and with CBO and all the tools that they're rolling out, Facebook is trying to make it easier, easier for ad buyers in that way. Um, so if you're using CBO and you're using automatic placements, then Facebook's doing your job. Facebook is placing the things where it knows it's going to get the most amount of conversions. So you don't have to worry about all that extra that's going on um, behind the scenes because Facebook's just taking care of that for you. Right. It learns more. Um, mm -hmm. it, it knows more. Right. So, so, so you don't do anything, right? Like you don't mess with it. Yeah. No, you just don't touch it. Um, the less you do, the better. I mean, it's important to make good decisions from the start and know where to properly allocate your money and which buttons to press and all that sort of stuff. But Facebook's algorithm really does do a great job of of doing all that. In fact, they're even making changes right now to their interests where they're getting rid of some interests. And some people are really nervous about that because they like to target certain interests. But what Facebook's doing is they're actually eliminating interests that are too similar and they're confusing ad buyers or they're confusing their audiences. So they're gonna get rid of things that are just too close to each other and make it even easier to ad buy. Right, right. I mean, even, even when I started doing it, I would always go, this is the advice that I got, I would go into edit placements and I would turn off certain 
types of placements, meaning the places where ads would show, just to make sure that you were telling Facebook to do the right thing. Um, but yeah, just don't deal with that anymore. Just don't even worry about it. It actually makes it easier. It makes it a lot easier. Um, I think what you will all find in the world of ad buying on Facebook is one, the creative and offer everything. And two, it really gets hard when you try to scale. <laughs> that, that's when the, that's when the real like difficulty comes into, into media buying. Um, so even if you can't, could start it yourself very often, it's hard to get that up to like when you're spending a thousand dollars a day, it gets much more difficult, much, much, much more difficult. Um, so, uh, okay. So let's go to the ad level. What, what do you like to do best practice wise there? So we've already dealt with the creative. We know what kind of creative that we're using. This is the kind of creative that we use for all campaigns. We obviously use other things too. Our main goal is to get the lowest cost per purchase down. We, we, we want to acquire customers for the lowest uh, dollar amount that we can and make our clients the most money that we can. So if that means that we're using certain kinds of images and retargeting or whatever it may be. We certainly do that. Uh, but we have the basic content framework that we start with. So at the ad level, any other pointers besides the actual creative there? Captions, uh, buttons, headlines, any of that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah, definitely. So one of the biggest tips that I have is to make sure you put your URL in the main text, um, like above the photo where the text is, Make sure you put your URL to your product page, um, your landing page, the very specific page you have to sell your product or service, because it actually increases your click through rate substantially. Like we have seen people for whatever reason, click that URL more so than they usually click on the actual call to action button in the bottom right hand corner, the shop now button. Um, so that's my first tip is to definitely make sure you include your URL. And the second tip is to, in the headline, be very clear and concise and short about what you put in that headline text. So is it going to be your offer? Is it going to be the main selling point of your product or service? And make sure that that looks good on mobile because that's, everything's mobile friendly these days. Um, so those are my first two tips. And then of course, you know, we talk a lot about creative and of course at Guide Social, we have great creative, great videos. Um, but if you don't have access to that, make sure you're testing different forms of creative. So make sure you're trying a carousel, make sure you're trying a collection ad, make sure you're trying a um, image and then a short video that you can create using any sort of tool or even on your iPhone. Now, what about um, a couple of things I want to ask you about here? Um, do, you, do you ever get into customizing the creative for specific placements? Um, this is something you can do now where Facebook is basically begging you to do so. There's like just a bunch of pop-ups saying, you should do this instead for Instagram stories. You should do this instead for the Facebook newsfeed. Do you get into that at all or you just sort of let it roll? Yeah, I would say it depends on the client, um, but in terms of like what you should be doing for your business, you should definitely try to customize um, specifically for like Instagram stories. Uh, it's pretty easy to just create, just create an organic Instagram story within your phone in your own Instagram, save the story and then quickly upload it into the campaign and just see if it makes a difference. Um, actually Facebook did make it so that if you don't make any changes, it looks a little bit more organic in the stories but it's always good to test and always good to just create a quick little Instagram story, nothing too fancy in your organic and Instagram feed and then upload it into the Facebook ad manager. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good tip. Um, and I've heard that before too. And uh, it does, it, it can tend to work. If you want to make story specific content, yeah, just go into your Instagram app and create it and make it look organic. That's the key. Make everything look organic. Um, make it seem native. It's another word for it. But organic, native, all these terms, basically you want people to not be... Um, you want them to be interrupted by the experience insofar as it gets their attention. Um, but uh, you just want to have a relationship with them where it feels uh, more endemic to their experience. Okay, so that's at the ad level. Um, are, are you just starting with one campaign there? I assume this is dependent. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely dependent on the, the client and the budget. That's what I would recommend for top of funnel. I mean, really middle of funnel and bottom of funnel is probably where I see people leaving the most amount of money on the table um, because these are people who have already interacted with your brand in some way, whether that be going to your website or um, engaging with you on social media um, or engaging with one of your videos, whatever it might be. And so it's really important to also make sure if you have enough data and you've been doing your work that you are targeting those middle of funnel and bottom of funnel people as well. So let's dig into that a little bit. Bottom of funnel, just yeah. so we're clear, this is your super hot audience, right? Super hot. So this is the this is the audience who I added mean, to cart. Kind of depends. Check out, yeah. Right, and you know, you 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 can choose who that is at the bottom of the funnel. Uh, but basically, when we talk about um, a bottom of funnel, these are people that are they're just about ready to purchase, but they haven't pulled the trigger. You know, what is it, seventy five or seventy or something percent of shopping carts go abandoned, and so you want to make sure that you're scooping those people up. Um, but certainly the amount of data that you have on your account, the amount of traffic that's coming in. Um, of course, if you've been running Google ads already, this is a good thing because then of course there would be other people to scoop up um, that you can be retargeting if you've had the pixel going. Um, so that's what the bottom of the funnel is. Um, the middle of the funnel, so sales funnel strategic wise, this is the people, these are people in the consideration phase, but they're just not sort of ready for that, for that bottom. But from a, from a basic standpoint, let's say that we are going to start retargeting right from the beginning. What audience do you choose? Yeah. If I'm going to start retargeting from the, from the beginning, then I'm retargeting people who have engaged with my Facebook or Instagram. Um, I like to be consistent. So if it's the last 90 days, I make sure they've engaged with my Instagram page in the last 90 days, as well as my Facebook page in the last 90 days. Um, to be specific here, you have to set those up separately. Those are two separate audiences. So when you go to create your custom audience, you have to click on Facebook page, do 90 days, and then click on Instagram page and do 90 days. So I like to target those people because if they're engaging with me on social media, they're likely to buy if they haven't already. And then also, depending on how much traffic I already have, I'm always targeting add to carts if I have enough traffic. If I don't, I'm doing website visitors, all website visitors. Um, and then also another audience I like to use if I have enough traffic is people who have engaged with my website at least two times. So you can specify that within a custom audience as well. And then with these audiences, I always exclude recent. Now, how do we do that? I don't think I've done that. How do we do that? Yeah. So when you're setting up your custom audience, um, it like pops up a screen when you go to your website and then you can also say, and includes people who have engaged, blah, blah. It's like a drop down. <laughs> yeah. Two times. But, but, yeah. but how would you know they've visited more than once? Because of your pixel. 
Okay. I'm sort of following you here. <laughs> so hard because I can't show you, but um, yeah. Oh, I so see. I see. I see. I see. I see what you're saying. You're saying that it's a conditional and like you, it's, it's people that definitely have engaged during this time and definitely yeah. engaged during this time. So basically you're filtering out all the, rather than including, you're filtering out all the people that um, only came once and never, and never came back. I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. You can also, um, I was creating a custom audience the other day and I was reminded because I haven't used it in so long, but you can also filter by time spent on the website. You ever do that? Yep. You can also, yeah, filter by time spent. This is of course, like you need to have more traffic if you're going to do this um, because otherwise your audience is just going to be so small. It's going to, it's going to just hinder the algorithm, but you can also, yeah, you can also do time spent. Um, yeah, and of course you exclude the amount of people that you have that have purchased from you. That depends on your repeat purchaser buyer rate. So how like when people come back to buy from you. So if you have a product that people might buy every 30 days, of course you might not want to exclude 30 days. You might want to exclude seven. Um, but usually I'm always excluding per people who recently purchased. Okay, right. Because you don't want to waste money on on those people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you don't want to pay for money. every impression. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So, okay. So the basic thing here with retargeting is one of the mistakes that people often make is that they just say, okay, well, let's just take the last month of people that have visited my website and just retarget them. And that's all that we're going to do uh, because they don't want to get into the, the other pieces of it. But the bottom line is one, if you're doing organic, it's good. Stop avoiding doing organic because you can retarget your organic. I mean, if you have thousands of followers or even hundreds on Facebook and Instagram, go ahead and create communities there because when people engage with you, you can retarget them with ads. Um, but I think what you're saying, Sayla, is don't just retarget one segment of people. Like go through and say, okay, who are all the people that have engaged with us over a certain period of time? We need to make sure that they become customers and that they don't get out of the funnel. Because the whole point of a funnel is to keep the good people in and the bad people out. That's why when I teach this, I always, I draw the funnel for students and I teach it, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, why, so why is this a funnel and not a rectangle or a cylinder that just goes down, right? And the answer is because you wanna spend money in the best way possible, right? You don't wanna spend money on people that are never gonna become customers, so people have to drop out. But of course, you don't want to keep the wrong people out and you could lose them in this retargeting phase. Um, so you can set up these audiences that way. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time thinking outside of the, the box with their top of funnel campaigns. But I think it's almost more important to think outside of the box with your bottom of funnel campaigns. One, because it's getting harder and harder to retarget people on websites because all the changes are coming out, the browsers are blocking cookies, that sort of thing. Um, and two, because those audiences are warm. Um, so really thinking about the time frame of when people engage with you, you know, did you put out a video during a sale that did amazing? Maybe you want to use that video in a retargeting campaign for a similar sale to get those people who added to cart but didn't purchase or to get repeat purchasers. So it's just really important to think outside of the box with your retargeting campaigns, um, even more so than it is for your top of funnel prospecting campaigns. So what about the messaging? 
I mean, I always say that you have to match your messaging to where the person is in the sales funnel. So how do you start messaging to people specifically at the bottom of the funnel, these people that are hotter? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, generally think about these people have engaged with you before. You maybe don't need to say as much about your brand. Um, think about what maybe got them to not purchase. What, what were they hesitant about? And make sure you capture that in your ad copy. Um, or remind them, you know, there's so many ads you see like, hey there, you left something in your cart, um, come back and purchase it. Um, just be a little bit more pushy and less informative about what your brand is. Um, also a great place to test out testimonials to see if they work for you at bottom of funnel. Um, that's another type of creative I like to try bottom of funnel as well. Right, yeah, and that's one of the main things that we do. We always get those video testimonials right from the beginning. Um, so that you can use them and they always work best at the bottom of the funnel. Um, and if, again, if they have a demo to them, uh, a demo element to them, they, they tend to do better. You may even be able to potentially try them at the top of the funnel to the, to a cold audience. Um, if they feel, if, if it feels like they build enough awareness about what the product is, something else I love at the bottom of the funnel, we don't use it all the time because again, sometimes clients, because we, we make a lot of content for our clients. And sometimes they're like, why aren't we using this yet? And I say to them, I never, never fix something that's not broken. That's what I say to them. Never fix something that's not broken. Um, not that we only work on things when they're broken, but um, you start seeing trends and such. I mean, if you're, I mean, if, if results are great, you're, you know, tripling, quadrupling, five, six, seven Xing your money, just like sit there and let Facebook continue to work its magic. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so, so that sort of generally is the funnel. So really it's a pretty basic setup. Now, now when does it start getting more difficult? So like, that's how you would set up a campaign. Hopefully everybody can sort of follow that for themselves. Um, just to recap here. So you've got, you've got your creative, you understand that. And then you set up a conversion campaign optimized for purchase to a 1% lookalike audience of other people that have purchased and then uh, run that creative in there. Um, but what about, uh, when does it start getting tougher? I mean, because you obviously can't run this strategy forever. Uh, and how do you start scale? Like, when do you spend more money? How do you know when to spend money? What do you look at? Like, what are the signals that you look at, the benchmarks to know that you should be, you should, that, you, that you're leaving money on the table if you're not spending more? Yeah, scaling is definitely where things start to get a little bit more difficult. Um, and there are two different ways that you can start scaling. There's horizontally, which means you're adding more campaigns, adding more audiences. And then there's vertically, which is where you're basically just increasing your budget on each campaign. Um, and where it gets more difficult is that as you increase your budget, if you don't follow the rules, which are, you know, make sure you're only scaling 10 to 20% every three days, then your campaign will kick back into the learning phase, your results will start to drop, um, your cost per result will go up, meaning the amount it costs for you to buy, get a customer is gonna increase, um, and then you become less profitable because you're spending more and you're not getting as many purchases, um, your purchase conversion value is lower. Um, so scaling is really like the hardest thing. So how you know when it's time to scale is when your campaigns are you know, hitting a much higher return on ad spend than what you need. And that depends from business to business, but you know, when you're hitting that three, four, five 
an up mark, it's probably time to start scaling and start spending a little bit more, finding new audiences. Um, you probably know what creative works best for you. That's a really important part about scaling is making sure you know what creative works best for you. Um, so those, those are the metrics we're looking at. We're also looking at our cost per result. You know, is that within a healthy range for your business? Are your margins doing well? Um, and then of course, finally, like, do you have enough products to fulfill the demand? Because that's another huge problem we see is that people start to scale and then they realize that their business isn't really ready to scale either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've, we've run into this problem as well. Yeah. You have to be prepared for it. It's always a tough business decision, right? Cause it's a cart before the horse, you know, you feel, you feel, I mean, I understand that you feel trepidatious buying up a bunch of inventory and having it sit in a warehouse, like waiting for us to sell it. But see, that's, that, that's when it gets to this point where it's like, let's look at the return. If it looks predictable, if it's starting to look predictable, then you can start slowly scaling. And, and so what did you say there? You said uh, 10 to 20% every three days. You would still recommend that? Yep, I would still recommend that. Um, I scale at 10% because I am very hesitant of getting back into the learning phase when I know a campaign is doing really well. Um, I know some are more risky and are willing to do the 20% and willing to try that every single day, but I stay on the safe side and do 10% every three days just to make sure that I know my campaigns are going to do as well as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what about the other stuff? In the like inside ads world, we call it the soft stats. But a lot of times if, if, if people have listened to far too many podcasts and read too many articles, they'll get really concerned about CTR and CPC and CPM and all these things. Are there any benchmark numbers there that we should be looking at? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this averages, it really does depend on your industry. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, like your CPM can be more expensive if your audience is smaller or very specific. Um, or more you know, competitive. Mm -hmm. More competitive. And sometimes we see in retargeting, you know, your CPM can get higher. So I don't worry as much about CPM as I do about my cost per result and my frequency, how often people are seeing my ads. And then um, also looking at the, just the amount of purchases and making sure that that is what I need to be seeing for the business. As well as my click-through rate. I almost forgot about that one. That one's very important as well. <laughs> right, yeah. And usually uh, I don't bother too much with CPC math. I mean, that used to be like one of the biggest like things that people looked at because they were like, well, if it costs me this much money to get someone to click over to the site and then it costs that much money. Dun, 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 dun. And yes, you can still run those numbers. But typically um, it gets so confusing. I mean, I just like to say, okay, great. Let's, let's, let's look at a, a benchmark of 1% click-through rates. And uh, if everything is converting the way that it should, that should work well for me. Uh, so, so that's generally how, how, uh, how I approach these things. And as far as CPM is concerned, um, what's interesting is the way that I think about CPM, which is the cost, it's how much advertising costs, right? So it's cost per thousand impressions. Um, not cost per million, cost per thousand impressions. M, Roman numeral. Um, that's the cost of advertising. So uh, basically it's gonna be pretty similar in cons uh, for consumers, uh, but really you wanna look at B2B versus B2C. When, I, when, when, when it comes down to CPMs, it's really, I mean, honestly, in the B2B space, you can really be looking at 
$60 plus CPMs frequently these days, I have noticed. And in the B2C space, um, you're very often gonna see everything from seven to $15 CPM, which is great, which is great. So all of that is to say, you're, the, the results, the benchmarks that you look at are all gonna be the same, but you will have to spend a little bit more money to get that data in. Uh, if you're working in a in a B2B niche. And, and what we're talking about right now is largely in that e-commerce framework. Now, one thing that we have not talked about, the last thing we have to talk about, is even if all of this stuff is amazing, if the play if the page that you're sending people to sucks, it still will never work. What's your experience with that, Sayla? Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. I mean, that's that's a big reason why people shouldn't start spending more money scaling their ads if their website isn't converting, you know, if you're getting under a 1% conversion rate, like you're not ready to scale because you're just going to start spending more money and it's going to be more expensive and you're not going to see the results you want to see. So put that money, instead of putting it into Facebook ads, put that money into hiring someone to fix your website and make it convert better. Um, and that like Facebook ads are a great test of how great your website is. Um, because you're going to see it as soon as your traffic increases, if your conversion rate isn't high, then you're not going to be happy. Yeah. And I'll probably have another podcast on this because one of the things that we've started doing for all of our clients now, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of who we haven't done it for. We pretty much done it for almost everybody. Uh, but, but we'll build them a sales page rather than the sort of typical e-commerce type page uh, because we know that there's money being left on the table because when you send somebody to a product page that just lists out a bunch of features and benefits in text and then has some and has like a photo gallery um sure it very well could convert and you you may be sitting at home being like that's what i have and we make a ton of money absolutely can work um but could your results be better if you're actually trying to do some selling some psychology um you have more media content on that site it's worth testing. Um, and uh, so far, um, it's worked pretty good for all of our clients. It's just not something you often think of in the e-commerce space um, because you have to go out of your way to do it. I mean, it's kind of like, well, people are used to going on Amazon, going to a product page, buying a product. Uh, but listen, there's a lot of noise out there. So, you know, can you, you, well, you have to look at conversions all the way down. Once again, this is why you can't just have a media buyer. You need to be able to have all these pieces. You have to have the creative for the ads. You have to have the tactical side of Facebook advertising. And then you have to have a website that is built for conversion. What else is your website built for? You know, I mean, brand awareness, sure. But if nobody gets there and buys anything, it doesn't matter. You know, so build it for, build it for conversion. Is there anything that I'm forgetting? about the specific ad process, Sayla? I think that we mostly covered it. Yeah, I think we covered it. And I think you really knocked it out of the park there with that last statement. I mean, we all know that Facebook knows the same thing is true. And that's why Facebook and Shopify are coming out with their own platforms to keep people within the app and make it so that they're not even ever going to websites. Like Facebook knows that it's gonna lose money if people go to websites and don't buy because the advertisers will spend less money with them. So that's why Facebook's coming out with Facebook shops and why you're going to be able to stay within the app on Instagram is just because it's, it's just crucial to have a website that actually converts. And what, and so, so really quickly, what are the biggest mistakes that people make that we shouldn't make? Uh, for example, like, what are they like changing the budget? 
um, like, like, like uh, those, those sorts of things. What are the biggest sort of like, for lack of a better term, rookie mistakes that you see people make? Yeah, I would say definitely making changes every single day. Like as soon as something isn't working, they're going mm. in there and changing it. I would say not testing and trying new things, whether that's at your ad set level with your audiences or at your ad level. Oftentimes I see people only have one ad in an ad set um, and they're trying to scale that and that's not going to work. <laughs> um, oftentimes I see people going in and making changes to their ad instead of duplicating and trying a new ad or, um, you know, setting up a new campaign. Um, so when you go in and make an actual change to the ad, you change the text, you change the headline, you change the photo, you're resetting all those comments and engagement that you're getting on your ad. So don't do that. You want that. Facebook loves engagement. Um, those are just a few of the rookie mistakes that I see. I also see people just going in and adding in a brand new ad against an ad that has been running for a while and already has engagement. Like that new baby ad is not going to make it. It's not going to last out there against the ad that's been running for a while. Um, yeah, those are a few of the rookie mistakes I see. You should definitely avoid them. Hmm. Yeah, that's very, it's very good advice. And, you know, I think that one of the things really is that the, the underlying problem here often comes down to mindset uh, because what you often see is that people, they just get scared when they look at it every day. It's kind of like when you're trying to lose weight and you weigh yourself every day and you make, you make uh, decisions about how your progress is going based on what that number on the scale says every day. Of course, we all know that there's lots of fluctuations that can happen in your body that are gonna make that change. So you may be losing weight and the scale might be lying to you. The same thing goes for Facebook ads. Uh, if you look at it after a day of things running and you're like, oh my gosh, those numbers aren't as good as yesterday, don't touch it, just leave it alone. If you start seeing trends, then you can change them. You, you would agree with that, right? Yeah, I 100% agree with that, especially in this climate. Like, it is so hard to predict the mm. buyer's behavior right now, especially for the algorithm, the day of the week. You know, it's a political election year, and that has a huge influence on our buyer's patterns. Um, and then also as we, we go towards Q4, like people's behaviors are changing all the time. So make sure you collect enough data, you know, over the course of even a week, like, People who buy on Monday are different than people who buy on Saturday and Sunday. Um, people who buy in the beginning of the week when they get their financial aid or um, they get their paychecks are different than people who buy at the end of the month. So keep all of that in mind before making changes. I mean, if, you're, if you've launched a campaign and you have four to 8,000 impressions and an awful cost per acquisition and no purchases, then yeah, you need to make some changes. But if things are just slowly clocking along, you need to let it do its job. It's great. It's great advice. Uh, thank you all so much for, for joining us here. I think that we really, I mean, I, 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 I hope you got a lot of value here. We really took you through everything we know about this stuff. Honestly, we went, we went, we went pretty deep, uh, which I like. Um, and, uh, you know, th this is, the, this is the guide social ad buying team. This is what we do. This is how we put together campaigns. It's just me and Sela hashing this stuff out um, and it works. <laughs> uh, so if, if, if you want to learn more about us, go to guidesocialglobal.com. But thank you so much for being here. Leave us a review if you got value. I love it when you leave reviews. It makes me happy. It makes me smile. It's Sela's birthday. Give her a gift. Has to be a good review. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a good okay. gift. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you all so much for being here and I'm looking forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.